Hey there, literary fans, and welcome to episode 10 of Jeff Reads His Book. I am your host, Jeff Armstrong, and today we are going to be reading chapter 10 of Bringing Balance, a book that I wrote in one month. So if you want to write into the show or you have any, we always end with our discussion questions. So if you'd like to answer them, you can find all my contact information on my website at jeffreadshisbook.com. And I'll give all that nonsense out individually at the end of this episode. So far, the only people who have written in with... People, I'm sorry. The only person who's written in with any sort of feedback is my wife. And uh, mostly it's been good, although I did get some text messages when she got to chapter 8, I believe. Chapter 8 I recorded on a Tuesday afternoon while drinking a beer I bought at the supermarket that day. And she wasn't too keen on my doing that during a work day, and I guess I can understand that. But it was definitely lunch hour. If you go back and listen, it was lunch hour. So I think that's cool, right? you got to take a breather from your work, or else you'll just drive yourself mad. I think that makes sense, right? So, yeah, she wasn't too pleased about that, but she did send in more responses to our discussion questions. If you'd like your discussion questions mentioned on the show, send me a tweet or a toot or an email it's all on jeffreadshisbook.com. So let's see. Um, she's almost caught up with the actual show itself, so she sent me some Chapter 7 discussion questions. Let's have a look at what she said this time. Um, let me see. I asked, what would you call your, like, hidden pan-dimensional storage space? Because our main character, Margot, can hide things in the middle of nowhere somehow. Am I right? So her answer was, my pan-dimensional storage space would be called an incredible simulation. As in, this isn't a closet, but an incredible simulation. Very nice. Very nice. I like it. Uh, I also asked, are Stephen and Erin in love? Ooh, who knows? So her answer is, answering with a question, are Stephen and Erin in love? I'm betting on a plot twist. Woo! Yes, so I guess I, maybe is this considered a romance novel? Probably not, because the cover doesn't have a hunky man on the front, so. Alright, and then what'd she do for chapter 8? Let's see her answers. Can you people hear that keyboard? Super clicky, but probably unfortunate I record the podcast on this computer with the super clicky keyboard. Uh, let me see. Oh, one of my questions, and I thought this was a good plot twist, Roland... He had glasses. He had like a set of five glasses out for company. And I was like, is this foreshadowing? Did he know they were coming to his house, our four heroes? Or, well, you know, main characters. Let's not call them all heroes, right? We don't know. Because remember, we have some, we have a cliffhanger from last chapter. Ooh, somebody's a plant of the bad guys. So what is, uh, what does my lovely wife say here? Oh, Roland must have been a Boy Scout, always prepared. He probably has a bar or punch bowl set at the ready for whoever might show up on his doorstep. What kind of host would he be otherwise? You know what? That's a good point. You should be ready to go. We have like a, a 
bar. It's a piece of furniture. It's not like a bar you'd stand behind. But you keep your liquor in there, which I do have to make a trip to before we start this chapter. Because all I've drank so far today is a Labatt Blue. And that's not going to cut it for this freaking long-ass chapter we're about to get into. But we do have like a small bar there. But I guess I don't invite anybody over to my house basically ever. I think the only visitors I get are my parents or my sister shows up whenever there's a hurricane and her children destroy my home. But anyway, uh, I don't leave glasses out, but I guess that would be the right thing to do in my bar. Like I could whip them, whip them out real quick if somebody showed up. You know, I've always wanted something like that in like my office down. You know, I'm, so we're recording live in the basement studio and I really think it would be nice if I had, like, a little uh, dry bar over here. Is that what you call it if there's no sink? I always thought wet bar meant there was a sink. I just don't know. But anyway, you know, it's a, it's my. I also do work here in the live studio here. But I always thought it would be rad if I had, like, a decanter of some sort of brown liquor. I don't know if they usually do brandy or something. Probably whiskey. This is America. And then we'd have a couple glasses around it. And, you know, if I had a guest downstairs, which doesn't happen, as I said, I could pour them a drink, especially during the workday, because I'm an important man. Am I right? I am not actually right. So anyway, let's talk about what we're going to be reading today. This is so exciting. We are on to chapter 10. Chapter 10 appropriately has 10 pages. So that means this is going to be our longest chapter to date. This one's going to be rough. So I'm going to have a lot of trouble reading through it. I'm just guessing, though. Uh, I flipped through it, and it does indeed have some excitement in it. It's got a battle, and we're going to really have to see how that goes, because I have my freaking doubts about that. But, you know, it could be awesome, or it's probably terrible, right? Magic bullets and whatever I have shooting out of people's hands. It will be kind of lame, I'm guessing. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Uh, the other thing about this is I think it's got a lot of drinking breaks, so I'm guessing the podcast quality is going to degrade noticeably as we get towards page eight, let's say, because I'll have had, I don't know, we'll probably be up to seven or eight drinking breaks at that point. Although I do stop in the middle usually when I read. But, ah, uh, ten pages, so this is our longest. I think, what, maybe we had an eight-page one before? So I probably shouldn't be babbling that much beforehand. So why don't we just go ahead and dive into chapter 10 of Bringing Balance. So for today's episode, I'm going to be sipping on a nice Evan Williams 1783 Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, as it's known. Mm. But I got a few ice cubes in it because sometimes these cheap ones just... They just taste better with ice. You know what I mean? All right. Time to read. I got to take off my glasses here to do this. So let's get started. <clears throat> In the morning, the small troop packed up their campsite to begin yet another day of walking. Remember, they were going to camp because they couldn't stay in an inn or something. All right. Roland assured her. Who's her? Okay, I, I don't like how I started this already. <laughs> Roland assured her that they had only another three days at most. He said that as they got closer, the increased road traffic might even allow them to hitch a ride on a cart driven by a sympathizer. Do you drive carts? I guess you... All right, all right, all right. I'm delaying way too much. This is the first paragraph of 10 pages. Good Lord. 
Erin, ah, it's Erin. We're talking about Erin. Erin found such a claim odd. She couldn't understand why they couldn't simply hitch a ride now. Roland and Margot again led the group on the walk. Erin had hoped that maybe Margot would prefer to accompany Henry, but he continued to bring up the rear alone. Erin did notice on occasion that the black-haired mage was glancing at her former lover much more often after last night. The two hadn't even fought at all that morning, though there had been little interaction to allow any quibbling to grow into a full-fledged fight. That was uh, that was an impressive little paragraph there. I think that, that one was good. All right. After a number of hours on the same road, Stephen suggested that he wanted to speak with Henry. Huh. Aaron and Stephen both slowed so that Henry might catch up with the pair. Henry, I don't have a good feeling about Roland, Stephen said. I'm not sure about entering Oliath if what Aaron has around her neck is so valuable. And why hasn't anyone pursued us? I never liked this plan, but I really don't have... Let me try that again. I really... Let me start again. <laughs> I never liked this plan, but I don't really have any others, Henry said, missing the real point of the discussion. Aaron watched Henry as he seemed to consider the proposal. What? What proposal? Oh, Jesus Christ. The thought hadn't really crossed her mind until Stephen had stated it outright. Do you think it's a trap, Henry? She asked. He was silent for a moment while Aaron and Stephen stared at him. Finally, he said, There might be a trap being laid, but I doubt that it is Roland's. Things have been far too easy for us lately. My guess is that we're being tracked somehow. You mean like a hunter? Stephen asked. I've seen no signs of that, and it'd be nearly impossible on a well-traveled road such as this. I sort of mean that. More probably, some sort of magical tracking would be occurring. I was never very good at that, Henry replied. But isn't Margot helping us, helping to hide us as we go, Aaron countered? Uh, again, Henry paused before saying, That's true. Turning to Aaron, he continued, Listen, just stay close to myself or Margot. We'll do our best to protect you, and everything will work out. With that statement, the mage smiled his carefree smile at Aaron, which didn't exactly make her feel better about the situation. Drinking break! Mm. So, one thing I will say for what what my... My writing style? What do you think here? What do I want to say about this? I had a beef with what I had written here. Oh, I don't know. Oh, well. But I don't really understand what the proposal that they were considered. He, they didn't propose anything. So stupid. Jesus Christ. All right. Oh, oh, oh. I was going to say, like, a lot of the time, like, some magic stuff that I get mentioned, like, some sort of magical tracking. That's a quote. Right? That's, I leave like a lot of that stuff vague. And I wonder if it's just because, I, I don't know. It, just in my head too, I'm like, whatever. There's gotta be some magic that you track people with. And I didn't want to think it through or bother with it. You know, pounding out 1700 pages, whew, that's, or 1700 words in a day. That's not pleasant. So, all right, let's get cooking again, shall we? Mm, little, little sip. Ooh! This is pretty exciting. Ready? Mmm. 
Frederick inspected the isolation cart that had been dispatched for the coming confrontation. Wow, this is exciting. So that was a discussion question way back in chapter who the hell knows about Frederick and if he'd appear again since he was a named enemy. And here we are. Frederick's back in the book. Very, very exciting. All right. I am impressed with my, like, chapter 10. That was probably chapter 5 or something. And I remembered that name. I must have had to, like, did I jot it down? I don't think I had notes when I wrote this piece of garbage. All right. All right. I'll just keep reading, though. This is very exciting. I'm so excited now. The cart was a relatively large model because he worried that they might have to hold three or four mages, witches, or whatever. The girl carrying the stone was somewhat of a mystery. Their intelligence suggested she was merely a normal offworlder. Frederick, however, was concerned that anyone entrusted with half of the balancing stone must have some powers. The cage should hold four people if necessary, explained Angela. Oh, these names. Good lord. Do you really think we'll need all the space? Frederick considered the question. Aside from capturing the offworlder, he looked forward to either capturing or disposing of Henry McCallum. They had trained together many years ago at Overlook, but Henry lacked the ambition to really climb the ladder and make a difference. Frederick also considered him pompous and amateur, a backwater previously offworld mage who could never compete with the magistrate's current crop of mages. Wow, he's, he's a hater, am I right? Wow. I doubt we'll need all the space, Frederick said. There's a good chance a few might go down fighting. Remember, there are no restrictions except that the girl is taken alive. Everyone else is expendable. Angela smiled. Frederick knew she generally felt the same about Henry, but harbored a much deeper hatred of Margot. I don't know why. Have the soldiers been briefed? Frederick asked, turning towards the man standing at attention in a light armor suit. All right, what's okay? We'll we'll come back to that light armor suit. I just want to make a I'm going to make a note because that's just awkward. Light armor suit. It's spelled the um spelled the American way for all my foreign listeners. Anybody in the basement live studio audience a uh, foreigner? No, no, no hands went up. No hands. All right, let's continue. All right. <clears throat> Uh, yes, sir. They are aware of the battle restrictions, the soldier replied. Wonderful. Now we'll just have to sit and wait, Frederick said. (gasps) You know what? That means they did lay a trap for them. Drinking break. All right. Mm. Okay, my first drinking break might have been too big a drinking break. All right. Mm. Because this is suspiciously low. All right. Here we go. Let's get cooking. I think that's the second time I said that this this uh, episode. Sorry about that. <clears throat> As the sun began its slow descent, Roland suggested that they begin looking for a campground for the evening within the woods just off the road. He suggested that more discretion be taken and that they walk deeper into the woods for safety's sake. Margot agreed with this idea, for she was growing concerned at the lack of pursuit after their escape from the village with Stephen. Okay, so apparently this section is going to be Margot-centric, right? 
She had been carefully using mild confusion spells along their trail to ensure anyone trailing them would be... Ugh. Sorry. Okay. She had been carefully using mild confusion spells along the trail to ensure anyone trailing them would be lose their track. (laughs) I think B was left in for no reason. All right. It should be would lose their track. All right. (laughs) However... She expected a more explicit attempt on stalling or slowing their progress progress, via even a simple roadblock. Roland, do roadblocks work if people are walking? I mean, can't you just run away? It seems kind of lame. Or go around it. I mean, it's not like you have a car or a cart in this world, right? Roland had been a reassuring presence for the mage ever since he had joined their company. She had missed his wisdom in the months since she had last heard from him. He had always been almost grandfatherly to her. When she was originally deciding on her career when she arrived at Overlook, he had encouraged her to continue on the track of expert illusionist, even when so many others had tried to steer her away from the relatively low-paying profession. While not lucrative, she had been happy working from Overlook for many years. Look at this. Background information? Very good, very good. She also knew, however, that Roland didn't approve of Henry whatsoever. He had always complained about Henry behaving unprofessionally, but the behavior was simply Henry's nature. Roland didn't seem to understand that Henry saw his work in magic as merely a thrill and rarely as, quote, work. Ever since Roland had joined them, he was asking what Henry was doing with her on this ill-defined quest. Deep in the woods... The group came upon an area where the underbrush was nearly non-existent. Ooh, we are hitting these typos quick now. <laughs> I Maybe I was taking some drinking breaks while I typed this in, too. <laughs> the forest was still illuminated by the sun, by the setting sun when they arrived. So Stephen and Henry went about collecting wood for a fire. At Margot's suggestion, Roland went about setting some safety measures in place should any unwelcome visitors arrive. Once the wood had arrived, Henry dropped to the ground in, exha- in exhaustion from the day's walk a few feet from Margot, allowing Stephen, who again showed no signs of strain from the day's hike, to build the fire. My legs are destroyed, Henry said to anyone listening. This is over. I need a few weeks of no movement at all. Margot's softening feelings towards Henry stayed her tongue from making a snide remark. Aw, that's nice. She was growing tired of harboring any ill will towards her former lover. Didn't we just say harboring an ill will? (sighs) Maybe. Who knows? It sounds very familiar. It doesn't matter. Could just be deja vu, right? All right, all right, all right. Furthermore, she was beginning to see again why she was so in love with him. Aw. Me too, Aaron exclaimed, pulling Margot back into reality. Glad we stopped early today. Since we're in this forest, I thought I might find us some dinner tonight, Stephen offered. I'm not a bad hunter, if you'd all like some fresh game. Who heard that? My clothes are done in the dryer. (laughs) Game, Aaron asked. Sure. Like some quail or turkey are probably common enough here. Maybe a rabbit, Stephen replied. 
Margot admitted to herself that a fresh meal did sound refreshing, and said, That does sound wonderful. The others nodded in agreement. All right, I should get going now before darkness really sets in. I shouldn't be gone long, Stephen announced, jumping up and heading into the woods. Mmm, so he's going off on his own. <gasps> Is he a bad guy? Ooh. All right, let's keep going. You know, the dryer is done, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to struggle through this. Let's keep working. Damn it. All right. Uh, Margot grinned mischievously. That's a tough word. At Aaron, after he had gone. You like him, don't you? She asked Aaron. Her answer was obvious by her blushing. Henry laughed at the short exchange. Aw. Roland returned to the campground as the awkwardness from Margot's question faded. Sitting down on the ground near the firewood, he announced, I've set up some safety measures, various spells around the campground. Perhaps someday you'll allow me to teach you these, Henry. Henry forced a smile. We should be safe for the evening. Roland then noticed Stephen's absence, showing some dismay. Where has the young lad run off to, he asked the group. He went to find us dinner, Aaron replied. Roland sighed deeply and smiled. Oh, good. A delicious meal tonight. I was worried for him. Were you? Hmm. As the sunlight finally failed... Sorry, I'm making a lot of comments. I hope you guys don't think this is, like, part of the story. It doesn't say, like, was he? I'm being sarcastic at, what, 2011 Jeff when he wrote this piece of garbage. So I'm going to take a little drinking break, even though there isn't a drinking break. Mmm. Okay, it's getting awfully low. We might have to pause soon. Okay. As the sunlight finally failed, Henry constructed their fire for the evening in the center of the circle where everyone sat. Didn't didn't we already point out Stephen was setting up the fire because Henry was just sitting on the ground? God damn it. All right. Stephen returned shortly thereafter, carrying a turkey he had found for their meal. Aaron yelped as he presented it. Everyone but Roland, who seemed preoccupied, laughed at her reaction. Get that away from me, she yelled at Stephen when he brought it closer. What's the problem, he laughed. Haven't you had turkey before? Doesn't look like that when I eat it, she responded, causing another round of laughing. All right, all right, I'll butcher, I'll butcher it behind the bushes, Stephen said. Aaron faked a dry heave. Ah, see, they're all having a good time. When he returned with the prepared meat, Margot grabbed a pan and an assortment of spices from, quote, storage. Do we really need to say that still with the quotes? Ugh. Atop the fire, Stephen seasoned and cooked the ample poultry. <laughs> That's so pompous, the ample poultry, distributing it as it cooked to the hungry onlookers. The dinner conversation produced a pleasant atmosphere, and Margot felt herself smiling far more than she had of late. She even allowed herself the occasional glance at Henry, who always returned her looks with a smile. Aww. Long after the sun had set, Margot's senses perked up at the sound of a distant noise in the woods. She, uh, God damn it. She, though, she, though, a distinct creaking had grown closer before stopping completely. I think that's supposed to be thought, right? Mm -hmm. The noise sounded distant, but it had come from the direction of the road. Nobody else had noticed anything, but Henry noticed Margot's reaction. 
What's wrong? He asked, sitting up from his previous, previously lounging position on the ground. I heard something. Out on the road, I think, she replied. Do you still hear it? Henry asked. No, the noise stopped, she replied. I'm not sure that it's that's a good thing, though. Everyone now, everyone was now listening to the silent forest carefully. Sorry, sorry, I was getting a little carried away there. I did want to point out, this is getting kind of suspenseful. Don't you guys think? I'm getting pretty excited right now. Henry swept his hands his hand towards the fire, and a gust of wind extinguished the flame suddenly. The five travelers sat in the dark, waiting for any other sign of approaching danger. As their eyes adjusted to the dim light of the moon and the stars peeking, page turn, through the forest canopy, they could see no sign of danger. We should investigate. Something is afoot, suggested Roland. That does kind of sound like what he would say. Something is afoot. So stupid. I agree, Henry said, rising to his feet. Margot, stay here with Aaron and Stephen. Roland and I will see if anything is around. Margot nodded in agreement, rising to her feet and removing her traveling cloak. Henry and Roland quietly walked in the direction of the road, leaving the other three behind. She turned to her two remaining companions. If anyone approaches, you both need to stay behind me, understand, she warned. I'll have my bow. I can help, Stephen offered. Thank you, but I'm guessing if someone is coming, a bow might not be particularly effective against whoever it might be, she said. Okay, Stephen said. I'll be ready, though. Oh, he's an eager beaver for this. The three stood back from the fire, facing towards the road, waiting for a sound. Margot looked behind her to see Aaron shaking in fear. Margot, deep down, felt the same, but she couldn't show such emotion in a crisis. Drinking break! So this chapter is getting very exciting. Am I right, people? Mm. Mm. So I'm going to probably trip over a lot of words, because I'm kind of excited about this chapter. I do remember this one, and uh, I think it's not bad so far, right? Uh, Let's keep going, though. All right. Henry and Roland crept carefully through the dark woods. Any misgivings Henry had concerning Roland had disappeared out of necessity. About halfway back to the road, Roland stopped suddenly and grabbed Henry's arm. There's something off to the left, Roland whispered. There's something off to the left, Roland whispered. All right, let's go, Henry responded. No, it may be a decoy, Roland said. After a short pause, he continued, I'll go look. You can continue ahead, and I'll circle around to meet you if I don't see anything. Henry nodded in the affirmative, and Roland started off away from Henry. Once the mage had disappeared from view, Henry began his slow advance, scanning the dark woods as he went. The underbrush was sparse along his path, the same they had taken from the road to their current camp. Sorry, sorry, there's no typo, I just can't read, you know? Okay. He moved in such a way that he was always obscured in the forward direction by the maple and ash trees that rose from the ground. Do you like that? I love when I just drop in a little bit of setting, like, 
What an extreme detail. What kind of trees they are, but usually I just avoid setting altogether. You know what I mean? I think I like writing the dialogue more, but I think I've said that before too, you know? Mm. The darkness seemed overwhelming, and he was starting to fear he had strayed dangerously far from camp. Sorry, that was a little hard for me to read. I don't know why. The first attack came in the form of a bright energy bolt from the direction of the road. While moving towards a wide ash, the surprise strike caught the mage in his right ribs, throwing him back to the ground. In a whirlwind, Henry spun back to his feet and dove behind a tree trunk as another bolt issued from the same source. See, this is what I mean. Exciting! All right, I, I won't interject anymore unless there's a typo. With his back against a tree, he saw another black-cloaked figure turn from behind a trunk in the direction of the campground. The new re newly revealed attacker prepared to send a spell at Henry, but the figure was too slow. Henry threw a fireball at unavoidable speed into the attacker, sending him flying through the air in an unquenchable flame. Turning to his left, he ran to another tree as his previous cover was met with a slicing spell, severing the trunk and sending the old tree falling into its neighbors. As he ran, he saw another figure appear in front of him. The attacker sent a white bolt towards... Oh. The attacker sent a white bold, you know, like the font, <laughs> towards his legs. But Henry leapt as it approached and sent a complimentary spell hurtling at the attacker, striking the unknown mage's head just as he tried to duck behind a tree. Turning back towards the road, he saw three shadows running forwards. With a quick mumble and rapid motions of his fingers, he swept his right arm through the air, generating a powerful wind gust that blasted the unrecognized attackers backwards. Quickly, Henry began preparing one of his signature spells and turned back towards the mage he had set alight. Before he could issue it, though, a barrage of stone flying through the air knocked him onto his back. A little slower this time, he spun to his feet, shaking off his stunned state, and slammed his fist into the ground. The previously flaming attacker shot from the ground, through the canopy, and off into the sky. I was wondering what his signature move was going to be. So there you go. Turning around once again, he ran to the still-stunned mage who was the subject of his leaping attack. Grabbing the shaking man, shaken man by the collar, he lifted him up, assisted by magic, and turned back towards the road. One of the three figures knocked aside by the wind attack. I'm doing a lot of like... This guy we attacked here, and that guy we attacked over here. Oh, all right. That's, does it really matter? <laughs> One of the three figures knocked aside by the wind attack had risen and was moving forward. Using the mage in hand as a weapon, he released him, sending him hurtling forward into the figure who had stood up, I would assume by magic, because I don't think Henry's strong enough to throw people at other people. With He was just bitching that he had walked too far that day? Walked too far? Come on. All right. With now four attackers in front of him, incapacitated temporarily, Henry charged forward. One of the original three attackers was attempting to rise as Henry arrived. 
He held out his palm over the figure, who he now saw was a younger woman, using an incapacitation spell to hold her to the ground. Raising his free left hand, he invoked a powerful magic to pull another of the falling, fallen mages into his grasp. And again, he threw him into the two groaning figures behind him. His eyes alight with rage, he looked down at the sneering woman who could not even struggle under his spell. Remember this face, he spoke angrily, because if you ever come near me or my friends again, it will be the last thing you see before I end you. That's pretty good. With that statement, he pushed a concussive force down into the angry mage's face, knocking her out. Turning back towards the campsite, Henry saw a fight beginning. Uh-oh! If This is a drinking break. All right, let's have a little sip, and we'll talk about it so far, huh? Mm. So if you do remember, some of the people who attacked Henry were behind him as he was walking towards the road. So that does imply that there could have been people all the way towards the campsite already. Yeah, they weren't very careful today. But maybe they didn't have to be because they thought there were protection spells. All right, so let's let's get started again. And we just had a drink break. Let's do this. Who is this going to be in reference? Or who is... What do you want to say? Um, uh, uh, perspective. Whose perspective is this from? All right. Aaron could see... All right, Aaron. Aaron could see the bursts of light and the flames through the trees. As soon as the distant fight had broken out, Margot had stepped forward to cast a spell unknown to either Aaron or Stephen. Aaron later learned that she had tried to make them invisible to any advancing attackers, but the attackers had been prepared. The first burst of energy struck Margot in her hip, sending her sliding on the ground into a nearby tree. Stephen pushed Aaron to the ground as another spell struck him in the head, toppling him. Aaron crawled over to the young man, who had shook his head trying to recover his bearings. Yeah, because fuck Margot, right? Margot had already risen. Oh, all right, well, fair enough. Margot had already risen and countered with what little attack magic she possessed. Oh, no. So the next paragraph, we have a formatting error, because the word, the last word in a sentence sticks out. Aaron saw another figure appear behind Margot in the woods. Behind you, she yelled. Margot spun and thrust out her right hand just in time to deflect a fireball rushing at her. Stephen attempted to arm his bow to assist, but another burst of energy rushed over their heads, preventing him, preventing either him or Aaron from rising to their feet. Aaron looked back towards Margot, who was straining to force back a bright stream of light using some unseen power. She was barely holding her own when an extreme gust of wind knocked her onto the ground. Aaron watched her rise slowly, her nose bleeding from the impact. The black-haired mage looked badly hurt as she returned Aaron's stare. "'Margot!' Aaron yelled as she started towards her. Margot began mumbling to herself with her eyes closed. Suddenly, she opened both eyes and thrust her right arm towards Aaron and Stephen, who were momentarily in Gulfed in a shimmering light. The injured mage screamed at Aaron and Stephen. Run! Both of you run! Get away from here! Before falling back to the ground limp. 
No! Aaron screamed, trying to run forward. If I did voices, this whole segment would be way better. Stephen, however, had grabbed her around the waist. Oh, no! (laughs) All right, we have to stop at the statement, even though it's exciting. But we have the first misspelling of waste in the book. Yes, we have a waste with a one. All right, so that is our first misspelling of waste because obviously we're talking about her her waist as in a body part. Or do you call a waste a body part? A region of the body. And it is spelt like garbage. W-A-S-T-E. Fantastic. I think prior to this chapter, though, we spelt it correctly twice, as in the body part waste, W-A-I-S-T. So this is our first misspelling of waste. And I did point out this book does use the term waste way too much, for God knows what reason. I think Beyond 2, a fantasy novel, probably shouldn't mention it beyond that. So Anyway, I've made a note. This is our first waste misspelling in the book. Let's see how many more there are. Um, My lovely wife noted that there are tons of misspellings of waste somehow in this book. All right, all right. Sorry to interrupt the excitement, but we entered some other exciting areas in terms of spelling and misspelling. Is this, what do you call it when it's a a homonym? A word that sounds the same but means something completely different? I think it's a homonym. So this is our first waste homonym misspelling. So let's move on. Here we go. No, Aaron screamed, trying to run forward. Stephen, however, had grabbed her around the waist and pulled Aaron upright. Aaron continued to resist. Margo! Henry, where are you? She screamed. Stephen grabbed her arm and dragged her into the forest. After being pulled deeper into the trees away from the campground, which was now being surrounded by shadowy figures, Aaron finally pulled he hand free. I think we mean her hand free. Mm. Having a little sip. Sorry, guys. And girls. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be sexist. Sorry. We have to go back for her, she pleaded with Stephen. We can't. We can't even fight them. We have to run, like Margot said, he responded. Why aren't they chasing us, she cried. Margot must have cast a spell on us, he said. We have to find Henry right now. Stay close. Stephen led the sobbing girl in a wide semicircle around the campground. Oh, he told her to remain as quiet as possible because neither knew the lasting effects of the spell cast upon them. In the dark, it became difficult to see anything whatsoever, but Stephen assured Aaron that he thought he could make out figures walking back towards the road. When he pointed at the dark profiles, Aaron thought she could see one of them carrying a body, and she knew it had to be Margot. Shortly thereafter, a lone figure could be sighted walking into the campsite. The figure started yelling, Aaron! Margot! And Aaron recognized Henry's voice. When the pair returned to the campsite, announcing their arrival to Henry, he immediately asked, Are you all right? Okay, so I guess their invisibility spell or whatever Margot would cast had worn out at that point. I guess we didn't really address that, though, because <laughs> he can just see them. Aaron examined the mage, who looked as if he had hit the ground a number of times, but was otherwise the same as ever. She nodded. Roland appeared from the opposite direction, looking only mildly disheveled. 
Where's Margot? Henry asked. Erin dropped her head. She couldn't bring herself to speak. Ooh, you know what? I used a semicolon there. I think that was appropriate in that sentence. What happened? Henry asked more desperately. Erin couldn't bring herself to answer. We know. You just said that. But Stephen spoke up. They got her. She couldn't hold them back. There were too many of them. What? They took her? He squeaked. I think I almost did the squeak. What? They took her? He squeaked. Stephen simply nodded. Did that sound like squeaking? I think it was just kind of half falsetto, but I think I do talk like that when I'm excited. Roland stepped in between Henry and the other two. We need to leave now, he urged. They didn't get what they wanted, thanks to Margot. So we need to move before they regroup. We have to pursue them, Henry said. No, that would be foolish. We need to complete our quest as fast as possible, Roland said. Henry looked at the other mage with a look of shock. What are you talking about? We need to rescue Margot now. You need to think beyond the You need to think beyond the individual, Roland said far too calmly. Erin is carrying a stone of great power and importance. It must be handled properly, lest it fall into the wrong hands. I think I wanted Roland to sound pompous and mission accomplished, right? I kind of hate this guy. But, Henry started, it's probably too late to go after Margot anyway. I'm sorry to say, Roland interrupted, hanging his head. I can't believe what I'm hearing, he said frantically. He turned to Aaron and Stephen. I'm going after her no matter what. You can either join me or continue on your way. Was that frantically enough? I think it was frantically. Please, young lady, remember, you have a responsibility to all people, Roland urged. We must continue on. Margot would have have wanted it that way. Aaron understood what Roland was saying. The stone around her neck felt heavy and reminded her of her responsibilities. She knew there was only one correct choice. (gasps) We'll go after Margot, she said. Oh, that was so exciting. I really didn't know what she was going to say there. But that is the end of chapter 10. Wow. So that was an exciting chapter. I think... Everybody can agree that that was pretty that was pretty rad. So what did we see happen here? So Margot apparently has been captured or killed. What do you think? I'm not sure. That's not a discussion question. But they were like carry well what Erin stated she was pretty sure it was Margot, right? And she got like she was bleeding and she was a whole freaking hot mess after this. This is pretty exciting, though, right? So, of our heroes, right? So, I guess we'll say our heroes numbered in five at the beginning of this chapter. One was captured. So, I think the real... I mean, this is really exciting. I I don't know what to say, right? Um, I don't think Margot is the bad person. Doesn't seem to be, right? So, I think we've eliminated her as the mole, and Henry obviously isn't. So, I think... This is getting this is getting pretty heavy. I don't even know what to say. I was so excited about this chapter. And you know what? Usually when I write this or any of these chapters where I got excited, I think 
Like I pointed out the one where Margot slaps Henry in the face was, quote, an exciting chapter, or at least one of my favorites. There were a lot of typos in it, but this one, well, we only saw like three typos, including a waste spelled wrong, but let's ignore that for the moment. That's really not that bad, though, considering, because I would have thought when I was writing and got real excited that, you know, the typo count would go way, way up. But uh, so this means for our next chapter, what? We're missing Margot, so that's pretty exciting. And um, we still don't know who the mole is, right? Very exciting. So let's move on to discussion questions, right? Okay. So uh, first question. Oh, God, I got to open the chapter again. Chapter 10, right? When we were talking about Frederick and his companions, right? Um, Frederick asked, turning towards a man standing at attention in a light armor suit. All right. So my question is, how did you interpret light armor suit? So we are talking about a bunch of freaking magicians and stuff. So is light armor like armor made out of light? You know, that could be like, it could be glowing. Or is it just exceptionally light? Like, is it made out of aluminum foil? Ooh, that would be kind of rad if it was made out of aluminum foil. Because that would be the lightest type of armor you could possibly make, I think. Although I don't think you'd call it armor at that point. I, I guess it could protect you from marshmallows or maybe, I don't know, some Nerf guns. Probably, maybe not a real Nerf gun. That would probably breach aluminum foil. But I bet if you had like a knockoff Nerf gun, like my parents most assuredly would have purchased me. You know we weren't getting Nerf, right? You know, the Nerf carbine action, whatever, uh, rotator system. Where it would shoot arrows or whatever. Actually, you know, I'm making fun of my parents for buying me knockoff stuff. But I gotta say, I'm pretty sure that my sisters had the Nerf crossbow. And that was that was the real deal right there. And I always had real Legos. It was just the big stuff. Like slip and slide, right? I think I always point out my parents would never have bought a slip and slide. We would have had the slip and fun that was available at discount toy stores everywhere. So, anywho, what do you think I meant by light armor? Ooh, was it... I'm going to say... I don't know if it was magical. That guy seems like kind of a tool, so it probably wasn't magical. All right. Second question. All right. Who's the mole in this group, okay? Hmm. I don't know. So, I'm going to guess it's not Margot, right? Because she's been apparently captured. And I have stated that I like her, so let's assume that as the author, I didn't make her the bad person, right? Is it Henry? Probably not, because he brought Erin here and is her only direct ally that we know of, right? So that leaves us with who? Roland and Stephen, both of who have questionable tactics in this chapter, right? Because both go off into the woods as soon as they set up camp. Roland goes to set some security spells, which clearly didn't do shit. And uh, Stephen goes and kills a turkey. So who do you think is the mole in this group? I don't know. One of our, our heroine, Erin, is in love with one of them. Does that mean that he isn't the mole? 
Ooh, I don't know. Write in, everybody. Go to jeffreadshisbook.com and click on those contact links and tell me who's the mole. I know because I wrote the book and it's kind of obvious at this point. So, (laughs) all right. Third question. All right. So Henry, while he's fighting like a freaking boss, am I right? He did get hurt a couple times. But, you know, that's fine. That's fine. You, it's not realistic if uh, he just beats the shit out of everyone, right? But, all right, so he's in this fight. And then he says, Because if you ever come near me or my friends again, it will be the... Oh, oh you know, let's do the whole quote. No interjections or anything like that. <clears throat> Remember this face. Because... If you ever come near me or my friends again, it will be the last thing you see before I end you. Oh, that's all right. That's pretty impressive, right? So discussion question two, is Henry a badass? Oh, that's the third question. God damn it. If I actually edited this podcast, I would go back and cut that out. But we're not going to do that, are we? So question three, is Henry a badass? I will end you. That's pretty good. I think that's a solid line in this book. I should have made that maybe my, like, uh, in the National Novel Writing Month website. You could add that snippet of what happened. I had Margot slapping Henry in the face. But I think maybe Henry being a badass would have been a good addition. I don't know. I don't know. So uh, write in if you think Henry's a badass, right? Or, ooh, you know what? If you're on on Twitter or Mastodon. Let's do hashtag Henry. What do you? Okay. I can't think of a good hashtag. <laughs> How about we make it just hashtag badass? And then I can just imply that anytime I see hashtag badass, it's because you're a listener to this podcast. That'd be exciting, right? Oh my God. But I probably only have one listener and that's my wife and maybe myself. But if you are a listener, please write in with your discussion question answers, right? So uh, you can reach us if you go to jeffreadshisbook.com. There are links to all the relevant uh, contact points, right? We have Twitter, at Fortran Jeff. We have Mastodon, if you're a big nerd in the Fediverse. It is Mastodon, oh, sorry. It is JVA at mastodon.sdf.org. Or you can always email me at jba at sdf.org. And you know what? If you write in with any comments, I'll be sure to post them. I suppose you could even leave a review or a comment or... Can you leave comments on iTunes? Whatever. Leave a review at iTunes. I'm probably not going to check the other distribution channels. And I really hope that they don't listen to this podcast and learn that I don't give a shit about Google Play Podcast or Stitcher or TuneIn or... Am I on another one? If I'm on another one, write in and let me know, but I don't think I am. Uh, Anyways, uh, that is episode 10 of Jeff Reads' book. And you know what? We're going to be back next week with episode 11. We've got some cliffhangers here. Something's happened to Margot. We're going after Margot. Isn't you know what? Isn't Erin sweet? She did say we should go after Margot. Because I think she's befriended her. Even though Margot has a real shoe fetish, Erin is still 
super into Margot. So let's see what happens in chapter 11 next week. But until then, keep on reading. Keep on reading.